Welcome, everybody, to episode 42 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Bo Richards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. How you doing, Dan? Doing well, Bo. How you doing? I'm not too bad. A little slow today, but uh, um, we we're talking about before the recording. But I'm not sure why. I might be slightly hungover. I don't think that's what it is, though, because I felt fine this morning, and it didn't come on till like noon. Um, I think it's just like a vitamin deficiency. I had a bunch of sugar and yesterday, and more so than typical. Yeah. And uh, they get um, like a processed sugar, not like natural sugar for like from fruit or whatever. And um, I think that uh, my body's just pissed. <laughs> what um, is this mess? So, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and so that, that was unfortunate. So I made an extra cup of coffee, and uh, I'm feeling better already. So I don't feel jittery, which is good. People tend to feel jittery with coffee. I I don't unless I'm very hungry. Um, yeah, it takes me a while but, to get to uh, that point. But I got yeah, kind I'm, of a ridiculous tolerance too. to caffeine. So, and I've actually been so I've been lowering the amount of caffeine that I drink. I used to drink much more, like about twice as much as I do. To, uh, currently and uh i haven't noticed any changes like in terms of my body isn't like angry at me for that and just instead of making basically two big cups of coffee i make one and that's it yeah. my i have a, a a large yeti mug or like a like a not the tall ones but just like a coffee mug and it holds 14 ounces okay and so um i used to make basically two or even th- two and a half of them Okay. And uh, now I just drink one and then I take it down about four or so inches of it or uh, ounces of it. And then I make uh, bulletproof coffee in the mornings oh, with yeah, the rest. Yeah. And and um, as opposed to like drinking it about three quarters of the way down and then refilling it once, maybe even twice. Um, and so that, that's been nice. It saved me some money on coffee, which is good. So, <laughs> yeah, I found out that apparently I make a fairly strong cup of coffee. Um, me too. Yeah. Yeah. I was having someone else make a cup of coffee for me. I was like, hey, this is tea. Where's the coffee? Yeah. This this, is, this tastes like bottle water. It's yeah. like, it's just like shit, it's shit water. And of course they're cautioning me now. It's kind of strong. So go slow. It's like, dude. And I'm like, no, right. this is, this is, this is brown water from a city that doesn't have proper running water. That's all yeah. that is. <laughs> if I can hold a this light is... behind it and see any of it, then it's not <laughs> strong enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, my uh, my girlfriend's parents have a, a cabin in uh, across the state uh, by Lake Chelan, and uh, we'll go over there and hang out, stay with them for a weekend sometimes. And if I make coffee in the mornings, I often get the remark that the coffee is very strong. <laughs> and um, I started getting up and making the coffee because when I would get up and it would already be made, it wasn't. I didn't like it. It wasn't strong enough. It was so I, I would just wait until it was gone and then make my own coffee <laughs> yep dude i've done that exact move and it's so much easier like if you make a strong cup of coffee the other person can just add a little bit of water and it's yeah that, that'll thin it out perfectly without changing the taste but if you got weak coffee you're screwed yep um, yeah. you're not like adding more grounds into it to right. get it stronger like it doesn't <laughs> um, though i have done that with instant with instant coffee okay. i've just yeah, added i can see that but um most people don't drink instant. It doesn't, it tastes different. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, I actually don't, I actually don't mind the taste of it. I, uh, I lived off instant for a good, like nine months to a year right out of college because it's cheaper. And so that's, uh, and that's all I could afford at the time. Yeah. And my roommates had a bunch of old instant coffee, like Folgers instant coffee, like just <laughs> nothing the, but the best. <laughs> yeah. And see, I actually drink Folgers now. Um, no kidding. Okay. Yeah. I, so I used to drink, 
I used to only go and buy like high end Starbucks coffees, like the pound of coffee for like eight bucks or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. I would typically only buy it on sale. So when they would buy have like the buy five or more, save a dollar or save five bucks or whatever, I'd go buy like 15 of them and throw them in the freezer. Mm. Um, not realizing that after like 30 days, most of them might go stale. So you have like yep. the coffee's not as good. But freezer um, is a misconception for coffee. It dries that shit out. Super yeah. Fast. It does, yeah. but um, the coffees like I like strong coffee, so I'd go buy like their, uh, you know, their their super strong Sumatra and some of the. That's the only one I remember, but there was a few others um, that uh, uh, that are very strong. And so even if they were dried out, they were still very strong coffees. And um, but I would spend huge amounts of money a month on these coffees because it's still expensive. And now I I was like so I tried some of the more bolder darker roasts of Folgers with like the in like the 22 ounce or 30 ounce like canisters instead of 16 mm-hmm. for the same cost and it's fine yeah like it, it, there's 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 a noticeable difference but I don't it's not so much so that I'm like this is so uh, you know like I I get three times the amount of coffee now for the same price so I'm yeah. like ah eh, whatever. And I, I'm drinking so much less of it now. I give a shit. I'm putting butter in it and salt, and so it's like I. At this point, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, kinda, I would buy cheaper coffee if they had it. <laughs> I can't go super cheap. <laughs> I, I kind of lay in the middle of the road. I'll do like the Safeway House brand. I think they call it Signature okay. or whatever. Like, yeah. At least they tried to make a decent coffee. That's good enough. Catch a sale on that. Get a bunch of them. And I usually mix and match because uh, some people don't realize that the lighter roasts actually have more caffeine. So when you get your super dark, like your Sumatra and Costa Rica and all that, they taste a lot stronger, but there's a little bit less caffeine. So I tend to mix and match a little bit of the dark, a yeah. little bit of maybe like some flavored chocolate or what have you. Big old pile in the filter and off yep. we go. <laughs> yeah. I think that the uh, if I, I think the cheapest you can get is probably like the Kirkland Signature brand from Costco. That'd be my guess because like everything there is cheaper. Yeah, and so I may start trying to pick that up if it, if it actually turns out to be cheaper because I'm drinking way less coffee, so I don't really care anymore. But uh, but yeah, so that's uh, that's how my day's going. It's <laughs> mi- mi- midday coffee, which is not common. This is the like the second time I've had coffee in the middle of the day like this year. Oh, wow. Okay. And so, yeah, I tried it like a month ago and it was horrible. Like I got super cotton mouth, um, like I was super dehydrated. I felt like crap for the rest of the day. And I was like, yep, this is why I don't do that. I don't, <laughs> it's not going to work. Some people can do that. I, like I can't do that shit. It doesn't work for me. Yeah. So, so today um, we were going to talk about creativity, but before we do that, yeah, I want to touch on the fact that you just got back from BJJ Globetrotters, man. I did. You got to so, give us a little rundown because uh, that sounds cool. I would as love hell. to. Before I do, I actually want to bring something up. Okay. Um, so, when this comes out for everyone listening, it won't be the day, but we're actually recording on Friday, June 18th. And uh, so it is technically um, the federal holiday, uh, June, uh, Juneteenth. Only because so be- it uh, lands on a weekend tomorrow, June 19th yeah, is the and actual so I- date. But yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So I thought it'd be a good idea just to recognize that um, um, because that's there. There are some mixed opinions about whether or not Juneteenth should be a federal holiday. Um, 
I had sent you an email before we started recording. Yep. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, but yeah, I just um, read it before we came on. So good time. Yeah, there, there's some very nuanced arguments about it. I personally, at this point, am in the camp of I'm fine with it being a recognized federal holiday. I think it's a good thing to celebrate and acknowledge um, those kinds of triumphs in our history. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand the arguments of people who voted against it on the Senate, in the Senate, at least to some degree, to the degree that they, the 14 senators broke out why. Um, Some of the arguments I do understand to a degree, Um, but again, it's a nuanced argument. And so, uh, um, but I think it's something to kind of celebrate and say, hey, look, like this is a milestone in our, in our history and we should celebrate. I think it is something we should celebrate is, hey, like this is a big deal. Like it's about time that we recognize this um, to the degree that it needs to be recognized. And I also think too that um, we should have more holidays. Uh, we don't get enough time off as a culture when it comes to working. Yeah. And I think that anything that will allow for people to have an extra day off throughout the year is a good thing, provided that the reason for it is not you know stupid. I don't <laughs> think that we should get Canadian Boxing Day off as an example. Um, or Earth Day, though Earth is good. I, you know, we don't get Earth Day off currently. So, like, I feel like you know, there's some things, and maybe Earth Day is not one of them. Uh, hopefully, we don't have a lot of environmentalists who are listening who are like, Earth Day should be a federal holiday. Um, but uh, this one seems fine enough to me. And so I thought that'd be good to, to kind of start at the top and be like, hey, like, happy Juneteenth. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely support it uh, being made into a federal holiday. Hundred um, percent, and the the pushback that was given, at least in, in the article that you'd sent, um, I, I disagree with those things. the the biggest uh, the, the biggest item that people were pushing back, including people like uh, Candace Owens, was saying that it's divisive and making mm-hmm. it a separate independence. Which yeah. I, I disagree with that. I think, and, and honestly, I think it's just a marketing issue. I don't think it's yeah, a separate too. independence. It's acknowledging an incredibly significant social step forward that the country took. And for everybody to take a day and say, fuck, I'm so glad we got past that. And, and mm-hmm. we can uh, you know, embrace our, our black brothers and sisters as part of our community and move forward as Americans all together. Like that's, I think, what the focus should be in the celebration and I totally support that. But to think that it's a divisive thing, I think, like I said, I think it's just bad marketing. This is not the black 4th of July. No, no, this is something completely different. And that's what I had heard in the article. And and like when someone, I forget which had made that sort of a claim, I was like, okay, well, like, I don't know enough about the situation to know if that's actually what's happening. And so like, if that's a legitimate complaint, it's like, that makes sense. I don't think we should have two, you know, we, we should try and focus on unity as a country. Like, that makes sense to me. Um, but if that's not what the whole goal of the Juneteenth is, it's like, I think we should still, rec- I mean, we recognize Columbus day for God's sakes, like not for long. <laughs> yeah. That, that uh, going not away. for long. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we, we still literally recognize as a federal holiday, like the founding of America by, yeah. you know, Columbus, which obviously there's not really an argument about whether he founded it. I, there's argument that someone founded it before him. Like there's actual evidence that like the Russians, old school Russians founded it before uh, the West coast, before he founded the East coast. But, yep. um, it, among other things, plus native Americans have, have been in this area for m- 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 much longer. And then we, you know, eradicated them as a peoples. 
So like there, there, yeah. there, there, there are definitely some issues. And, and I, I think that um, if we can celebrate that, we can celebrate the, um, the full emancipation or, you know, freedom from slavery of, uh, of the African-American of African-Americans. Of, yeah. This seems, this seems fair to me to be like, Hey, like this is a, a, you know, a hallmark moment in our history. Like this is a good thing. We should, celebrate this by taking a day off. That sounds fine. Yep. No, hundred percent um, agree with that. And I, and I would also, uh, totally support getting rid of Columbus day for myriad fucking reasons that I think everybody by now has a pretty good idea of. Um, and if we could come up with a better name than indigenous people's day, that's just so fucking clumsy to say, but something along those lines, I would certainly support sure. uh, a nod to the native Americans. I love the Canadian term first nation. It just sounds yeah. good, and it's like sounds respectful and powerful. First Nations, we were here first. I like that. But some sort of a recognition towards the the Native Americans. Awesome Columbus Day, get the fuck out, and yeah, Juneteenth for mm-hmm. sure. And it's and it's all right. for it's it, it's all for the purpose of acknowledging and supporting and encouraging unity. So it's. Yeah. It, it, you know, Fourth of July, Independence, theoretically for everybody, didn't quite work out that way. Um, but still, the idea of of this democratic experiment. So yeah, let's celebrate that. And on a totally different page, the emancipation um, that needs to be acknowledged as well. But like I said, if it's if it's marketed as the Black Fourth of July, that's a fucking problem. That is that is absolutely yeah. divisive, and um, I would say if that is guaranteed to be the way that it is marketed, the messaging, if you will, um, then I don't think we should have it at all, which would be a fucking yeah. tragedy because I do think we need to recognize that uh, June 19th is a special day. Um, no, very, very true. And um, I'm actually going to pull a quote from the article I'd sent over to you and because uh, I thought it was interesting. Um, it looks like... Uh, Representative Chip Roy, it doesn't tell me what state he's a senator in, but um, he explained why he voted against the bill. And he said, we asked Democrats to work with us on the floor to change the name to one that properly recognizes the importance of the day without creating a separate Independence Day. However, Democrats refused. See that as a country. Did it say what the actual name? Because I just understood it as Juneteenth. That's what it's always been. That, that yeah, gives it, no indication. I, I didn't look f- yeah, I didn't look further into it. Um, okay. But he, he continued his statement. He says, as a country, we must stop dividing ourselves by race and unite in our common pursuit of the ideals set forth in our Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal. And that was actually the main point that I took that I, I thought was a valid critique. Yeah, Assuming, of course, that what he is saying is true about um, a separate Independence Day. It's like, okay, like I, I, I'm all for, like you said, the, uh, uniting versus dividing. And so there's an argument to be had there. And in particular, if people aren't working together to come to a unified agreement on something. Um, now, again, I'm, I'm ignorant of the new one, like the, the intricate details of of the the holiday and what it's called and all that kind of stuff. And so a lot of this could have actually just been answered. And I, I don't know the answers to it. Yeah. Um, but I thought that his statement was interesting. And I was like, OK, like that is a nuanced argument that I am at least going to listen to. Because I don't think it's invalid. I want to hear more, but it's like okay, I, I want unity as well. Um, and so, like, kind of like what you said, if it's supposed to be like this separate, isolated thing, and there's like this 
we now have two of them and they're divisive. It's like that doesn't do us as a country any good. Um, uh, you know, that, that, that just doesn't, right? That, that's not the unity that we need, the healing that I think we need as a, as a country and as a culture. Um, I think you can have both. Yeah. Right. And, and have and have people come together. Um, but be that as it may, um, happy Juneteenth to everybody who's listening. Um, so this, I think this is at least a step forward in a good direction, hopefully. Yeah. And so hopefully um, our politicians can uh, stop bitching and griping at each other and, you know, come together with this and uh, try and find ways to unify the people, the masses, um, as opposed to dividing them. I think um, at this point, it's just more of a... Uh a narrative to use the current word, or like I said, the marketing, um, because it's, it's signed in. It's a holiday now. Cool. Yep. Let's just make sure we're talking about it in a way that is inclusive and not exclusive, you know? And also, I would yeah. like to hear a discussion on what is the best way to acknowledge that? Cause I have wished people a happy Juneteenth in the past and it's a little bit awkward. They, you know, they always understood like, okay, thanks, you know, but it's, it's different than a Merry Christmas or a Happy Easter. Um, yeah. So I, I, would, I would be curious to hear more conversation, uh, specifically from black people, uh, on what their thoughts of the, uh, an, an honorable and respectful way to acknowledge that, you know. No, very true. Um, it strikes me as a similar holiday to like Memorial Day. Right. Um, in yeah. that it's, it, it's a day of remembrance and... Uh, um, and maybe even appreciation. Uh, I, Memorial Day to me and like Veterans Day are very clearly like days of remembrance and appreciation. Like it's very obvious that it's like you're you're remembering those who've lo- lives we've lost due to, to military service, and we're appreciating those who've lost their lives and those who've served and still survived. Um, like that's very obvious. Um, it isn't so obvious to me with Juneteenth, uh, given what we're celebrating and why and how long yeah. back it occurred. Um, so. I think that over time as a culture, we'll kind of figure out how to celebrate it um, in, in a way that's proper and uh, honors what it is we're trying to serve, what, we're, what it is we're trying to celebrate. Yeah. Um, I think a three day weekend is fine for like, it seems great for that. It's like have uh, festivals and um, uh, celebrations and music and art and, and things to um, commemorate this historic moment in not only, our America's history, but I think human history, like this is, this is a big deal throughout all of human history. Like getting over slavery is not something that really happens, right? Like that's not something like there isn't a lot of examples in the past of where like people like rose up and decided to just get rid of it. You know, usually it's a regime change and then more slavery, right? So like we kind of accomplished something good there as a people. Yeah. Not kind of fully. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, did we fuck it up? Sure. Did we make mistakes? Yes. Was it perfect? No. But that that doesn't negate the fact that like we actually did something good, and um, as as a people, we we made a good decision. Um, yeah. And we've tried to better that throughout t- since that time up until now. You know, it's been 150 some odd years since that moment, um, and 156, I think would would and um, no, that's not right. Yeah, 156, I think. And so um, it's like that. That's 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 good you know we should that should be something that we celebrate and we should honor the people that were lost through this and and their families and things i think that's fair but um yeah we'll that'll be interesting to see how that how that uh how that comes about uh in over the next uh you know decade or so how that shapes right yeah um 
But you had asked about uh, to, to move on. You'd asked about uh, BJJ Globetrotters camp. Yeah, man. I did. Yeah, I spent a week in the woods in Maine, um, getting my ass mashed. I'm going to rephrase that because that sounds really bad out of context. <laughs> <laughs> getting, hey, what you do uh, is your own my, business, man. Just don't let your girlfriend. Come out. <laughs> Getting um, my body and my face uh, smashed by other uh, people in jujitsu, <laughs> getting utterly destroyed um, by lots of people. It was a lot of fun. There was 180 people there. Mm. Um, for anyone unfamiliar, Christian uh, Graugert, he uh, is a Danish fellow who lives in uh, like the French, uh, the French uh, colony of uh, Saint Barthélemy, Saint Barth. Um, somewhere down uh, the Caribbean, he created this. Uh, he created a lot of things, which is partly what we're going to talk about. But he created this big camp program like 15 years ago, 10 years ago now, and now there's like 12 of them a year, one basically one a month all across the world, where people just get together and they train jujitsu and they do workshops and they have fun. They go on pub crawls. In ours, we camped at a very large. Uh, campground um there yeah the campground is huge it's multiple acres multiple multiple acres there was i don't know 30 cabins that could could seat like 20 people um they had an amphitheater an outdoor amphitheater they had an indoor theater they could seat 200 people they had a football field a small track with only four lanes um not regulation size but it was small they had two baseball fields an outdoor ice rink um a drop-in half pipe, a handball court, uh, two outdoor basketball courts, one indoor basketball court. Like th- th- this place is just gigantic. Wow. Um, yeah, they had. Um, they're on a lake. They own an island off the lake that you could kayak to. Like it just it's fucking crazy. Um, and uh, it was ridiculous. Absolutely amazing. I was exhausted the whole time. I, I took like average like two naps a day. Um. <laughs> did as much jujitsu as humanly possible. And, um, I don't, I think it was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. Nice. Like straight up. Uh, the, the next thing, the next best thing that comes to my mind in terms of like, um, a short trip or something that like changed my life would be when I went to London to study abroad for five weeks. Oh. Um, that was also quite life changing just cause I was in, in London for five weeks and traveled to multiple countries on the weekends and, and stuff. Um, yeah, it was very transformative. Everyone was super nice. Um, it was weird. I don't, it was weird going to a place and for five days I didn't have to wear a mask at all. Yeah. So that was really odd. Um, I met Pete Robertson, who's the uh, founder of origin, uh, the, um, jujitsu gi company. Um, we a bunch of us went to the their store in Maine, about an hour, forty minutes or so outside of the camp, and uh, to pick up some geese and whatnot. And I opened the door, and he was literally standing like in front of the door, like facing the door. So when I came in, <laughs> and Pete Robertson's like six three, like two fifty. He's a big dude. Like he's a he's he's a BFT. Like he's a big fucking dude. And he just like looks at me and I have on like I have a jujitsu shirt that's got a picture like a stencil cut black and white cut out of uh, Dwight Schrute's face from the office. Yeah. And it says it says Schrute BJJ on it because <laughs> like my two favorite things are like the office and jujitsu. Yeah. And he kind of he looks at me. And he's like, hi. 
And then he pauses for a second. He's like, I really like your shirt. <laughs> and, I, and, and in my head, I was like, you're real. <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't say that. I shook his hand and said hi. But because I, you know, I follow his YouTube and his Instagram. And so like I see him all the time on these things. And so it's, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like seeing a celebrity in person where you're like, you're actually a real human, like you exist. Um, and he like shook his hand and said hi and told him what I was doing there. And a bunch of people walked in and he left and I'm very friendly and their store is really cool and small and quaint. But um, did you pick up any geese? So I actually bought two geese before uh, I um, went. And then uh, when I signed up for the trip, I emailed them and uh, was like, hey, can I? pick up the geese at the when I go to the camp as opposed to getting them shipped to me. Yeah, yeah. And so they said, yeah. So I actually went in and picked up the geese there. And those are the geese I used for the camp. Gotcha. Um, and so I'm glad that they were ready because I didn't bring any geese with me. And so, um, though, basically everything we did could have been done no geese, so it would have been fine. But mm. um, most of the classes throughout the day were designed for gi and no gi. There was like two or three that were like lapel-based. Um, otherwise, it was you could functionally do it in gi or no gi so okay. which is cool but how, yeah how it do was, you like uh, your origin gi uh i i like him i um so i have a rift i had a white rift and i bought a black rift um because i liked the white rift so much um and then i bought one of their um so anyone who is looking for a gi buy the rift i think it's the best gi you could ever have um the top is, it's like wearing a bathrobe that doesn't stretch out and is like, it's the lightest gi I've ever worn. It's the toughest gi I've ever worn. It's, um, it absorbs sweat better than any other gi I've ever worn. And it's also the best fitting gi I've ever had. That's, that's a solid, uh, solid testimony yeah. there. Yeah, that sounds great. And, actually pulling up and for people right who, yeah, and for people who care about it, everything on the gi is made in America, which I actually, that's actually one of the reasons I was interested in origin is I think that's really cool. And, and then I bought one of their entry level gis, which is like, so the, the rift gi is really expensive. Um, you can get their factory rejects. So the ones that they don't pass quality control for like a hundred bucks. Um, but the rift resales at like 325 so it's okay. quite expensive it's and that's actually how that's actually how i bought it and then i i didn't find out till we got there that they had factory rejects because everyone else bought factory rejects uh, and um because they they'd heard about them and i hadn't and so a couple of guys got riffs for 100 bucks and i was like god damn it like wow that's a significant you know, discount yeah and most of it it's like when it's going through the loom because they have their own loom that they use to make their own weaves um like there's like a, a line in the gi that like didn't get stitched properly. So there's no structural damage. It just, it's just like a cosmetic issue, but it doesn't pass muster. So they can't sell it for full price. Right. And I'm like, I don't care about that. They're not competition legal anyway. So it doesn't matter to me because the pants aren't, the pants aren't comp legal. Oh, no um, kidding. They have, They're too short. Cause they have belt. No, they have belt loops. You can't have belt so loops in like, a competition gi. All the way around the gi. No, I, I think oh. it's only, there's only like, you think you can only have like six or something and they have, all the way around the gi because they actually their um their swivel lock their their belt uh that they use is um is is you you strap it or you um put it in like a regular belt so all the way around the waist and so um i think that because of that there there's too much risk of injury to the fingers mm. and uh but uh and also the plastic on it i think is is a problem too because it's the plastic little lock 
could, could hurt someone. I, I think it's what they were saying, but whatever the case, um, I got that one and that was a pretty penny. But I probably won't need another gi for like 10 years, so it's fine. Right. And then I got their entry level, um, which is about a buck sixty, so it's average cost for a gi. Yeah. Um, and I actually got it in uh I bought their Abyss, which is like a a navy, like a dark blue mm. color. Um and it that's like a travel style gi. It's also super light, but it's different material. It's uh not quite a ripstop. Um it doesn't have the feeling of ripstop, but it's super thin. Huh. Um and so how they weave it, it's it's like a super light. Um, it's the same uh, same fabric we and weave for the pants as it is for the top. Okay. But it, it's like you could air dry in like three hours, like it's or mm. something. It, it's super super crazy. Both of them get air dry like super quick. Um, and I actually really like both. Um, I'm a big fan of both, and so um, they serve me very well when I uh, used them at. Uh, globe trotters and it's been really hot here so i haven't uh had a chance to wear um really wear them at the gym because it's been we've had a little bit of a heat wave but uh yeah. um but yeah I, I love them i think that they're great looking I would at the use website them as a whole. here they got this kind of a diamond like texture woven into yeah. the fabric that's really sharp for the for the rift yeah yeah, yeah that's nice yeah so it, it's all um it's like a patented weave that they've done oh. there's no other weave like it on the market okay. and um most gi companies they'll list how 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 many uh, grams per meter or whatever how, how heavy it is yeah and um they don't do that it's still the lightest gi i've ever owned and i mean that like by far i've i have purchased the super light um what is it uh, war tribe gi that's like 300 grams this is lighter than that, like straight up lighter. Um, and it's like noticeably lighter. And, um, and, and the way that it wraps around the body. So most geese, when people wear it, so first off, most geese shrink. This is an out of the box fit. It doesn't shrink. I've washed it in hot water like three or four times. No shrinkage. Okay. That's sold so right it, there. Done. Yeah. So, one. so it's actually, it's actually designed to fit like American clothes. So if you like wear a medium shirt or a medium jacket, you'll wear a medium top. doesn't matter your body size, you'll wear a medium top. Now, if, if a medium jacket is a little bit too small because you have a belly or something, you get a large and they'll hem the, the sleeves for you so that your sleeves will fit. But it, 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 it's supposed to fit um, hip to hip. And so most geese, especially after they shrink, the edges of the, um, the lapels don't, when you pull it out of the box, they usually fit from hip to hip. That's how they're supposed to fit. Not like a, a suit jacket where you, it only fits like a, on either side of the crotch. You're actually supposed to have one lapel all the way over to the opposite hip. And then the other lapel, the tip of the lapel all the way over to the, to one hip. Oh, and okay, it should fit like that. Okay. It should fit like that comfortably. Um, and so all the geese I've ever purchased out of the box, they fit like that. And then as I wash them and even if you hang dry them, which I don't like to do, um, cause they take forever, but, um, they still shrink and then they no longer fit. And then you see guys with like the lapels like stick out yeah. and there's like a big hole in the chest because they get smaller and smaller. Yeah. And, and that's the competition cut. Right. Um, and it's kind of restrictive for me personally in the shoulders and the chest, but, um, I've always had trouble finding a gi that fit because they would shrink too much. And I actually wanted to buy, I used to, what I used to do was buy geese like a size or two bigger than what I am. And then I would just wash them in hot water and dry them on high heat like 10 times yep, yep. to like shrink it down as much as humanly possible. And even then I still ran into geese that would shrink too much and they wouldn't fit. 
And so I picked this up and it's like, this is perfect. And it fits hip to hip. And so it, it feels bigger than I'm used to because most of my geese were like super tight yes. in the shoulders and the chest. Um, but once you get used to that, it's like I said, it's like wearing a bathrobe mm. with like a stiff collar. Like I love it. It's so comfortable. Like I, I, I could sleep in the damn thing. And right. um, I'll be adding a card here in a minute. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, it's I, I think it's definitely worth it um, for anybody who especially anybody who like has issues with finding a proper fit for a gi, which is probably most everybody. Yeah. Um, it's way more money than everything else, but I think it's except for like uh, lucky geese. But uh, I think it's the premier gi on the market. Like, I don't think there's a better gi on the market right now. Hmm. Um, I, I really don't. And uh, it, it's, it's just so comfortable and so strong and it doesn't stretch out. Like one of the things with super light geese is when you pull on them, you get like, people who like their grips and their spider guards and things is to pull on it. And then after 10 minutes of rolling, when the the sleeves would be at your wrists, now they're past your hands because everything <laughs> is stretched out. And so now you have like an over large gi and like, it's like, it doesn't do that. It returns really well back to its original position. And um, I don't really have any complaints. I wish that the, the sleeves were a little bit tighter at the wrist because some, some of the geese, like the, there's like not a lot of space around the wrist. Yeah. Um, so it's, these are a little bit easier to pistol grip, but um, they also triple reinforce it. So it makes it hard to actually grab the pistol grip because it's kind of thick, mm-hmm. which might be one of the other reasons why they're not comp legal is that there's too much stitching. But, um, but yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about the, the rift. The thing's absolutely amazing. Um, it, I'm very impressed by what they've done there. And, uh, I would do wholesale accounts with them if the geese were cheaper. Okay, I don't know if I can, I don't know what their, if, what their wholesale, I, I assume given what they charge regularly, their wholesale geese are probably in the fact that they're using American labor as opposed to uh, Pakistan labor yeah. um, plus shipping. Cause that's most, every other geese like made in Pakistan yeah. where cost of living is, you know, a 10th or a 20th. And then the shipping charges on top of it, it's still, you can still get a gi in America for like 80 bucks and then sell it for 160 and you have a good markup. Yeah. Um, my assumption is that they probably actually cost about a hundred to make. And so wholesale accounts aren't going to be feasible for a small gym. I don't think, but if I can find a way to make it work, I would totally do wholesale accounts just because I, I like what they stand for. I like that they're American made and I like supporting American businesses. I think it's a good idea, yep. you know, and, and they have, and they're good quality. And so worth an email um, at least, you know, reach out. Yeah. So I actually, I actually did email them a while back and I haven't heard back from them about that. Mm. And so they're, they're very busy. Um, I'm going to email them again so I can find out. Cause I, I'd love to have them like work up a patch you know, and if they if they could do wholesale accounts and we could have like cute little kids geese and stuff, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, dude, for sure. So tell me more about the camp. Like, uh, what was the structure? Oh, yeah. Like, how many classes a day? How long were you there? Stuff like that. Uh, so I was there <laughs> from uh, camp started on when on a Wednesday, Wednesday morning, and um, went till Sunday morning. And there was like one or two classes Sunday morning, which I wasn't able to do because I had to catch a flight. And then we were out by eleven a.m. on Sunday. And I actually left at like 9.30. The one class I wanted to do more than every other class was uh, this uh, um, front headlock class taught by a, a former D1 wrestler. And it was Sunday from 9 to 10 a.m. So I actually, <laughs> it was the one class I couldn't do. Yeah. So I was a little bummed about that. Um, there was probably six classes a day. 
Okay. An hour each. There was two open mats. One was earlier in the morning, like 10 to 11 a.m. or something. And then one was a two hour open mat later in the day, usually from like three to five or um, five to seven, something like that. Um, I didn't do, I missed one open mat. I think I think I, think I did the rest, um, which that alone um, was enough jujitsu for a day. Doing two hours of open mat with 180 people. Yeah. Like I, I, I was, in, and there's no timers. Okay. So you're, you're just like rolling. Yeah. And it, most of it was pretty, um, I had very few super intense rolls. Um, the heart, the most intense or hardest role that I had was against, um, a, uh, three stripe white belt ex Marine. That'll do it. Yep. <laughs> and so you, you, you take an X and you know, he's like a, he's like 10, 15 years removed from Marines. And he actually teaches at a Marine base right now. He teaches, uh, he's like, a, I forget what he teaches exactly, but he teaches on a Marine base. So he's still in, um, you know, dealing with him, but, uh, um, you take a Marine in their intensity. And you take a, the intensity of a three-stripe white belt and you put those together and you, you get an intense roll. Yeah. Um, especially when he's got like 30 or 40 pounds on me. <laughs> so, um, so I, I spent 10 minutes in defense mode, um, which was fine, but it was like, we slapped hands and then all of a sudden, like I was just bull rushed over and he was trying to pass <laughs> my guard, like very intensely. And I was like, I was like, I'm going to die by this 195 pound white belt. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it, that was like about it. Um, everyone else was, uh, like super low key. I could have, and then, you know, as you roll with people, you kind of tend to feel how they roll and their personalities and like the intensity they want to go. And so there was quite a few roles where like, as the role progressed, we would pick up the pace and, um, go a little bit faster, a little bit more dynamic, more movement, um, maybe a little bit more, in, uh, um, intense movements, um, that kind of thing. But, uh, I was very selective about that. Um, just cause I don't know people and, um, you know, I'm not trying to give somebody the shoulder of justice and that's like the one trigger that they need to see red and then wreck my <laughs> shit. So, um, but, uh, yeah, it, it was like, I, I think I probably rolled with a good 40, 50 people the whole trip. Wow. That's pretty good. What yeah, it was a take? crazy number of, um, I took a disparate number of classes. I, I worked uh, a lot of uh, two or three of them were uh, open guard, like half guard, uh, butterfly guard based. So that was really fun because I've been playing around with half guard and butterfly half and and uh, in butterfly guard. And so like uh, one of them, we went over uh, the the John Wayne or the Giggler sweep, um, which is just like a knee shield style sweep, uh, take away someone's. Uh, overhook wizard hand in half guard and then you take them that direction mm. um utilizing pinching your knees on their leg and then kind of getting their hips under theirs and rotating them um underhook stuff like how to fight for, for an underhook from there and then what to do how to you know sit out into a dog fight or roll under um how that ties into the two-on-one a lot of the classes were actually decently interconnected in that regard mm. and then um i took a a leg lock, a basic leg lock defense class, which was actually really cool by a fella down in Arizona named Jay Pages. He's a, um, anyone who doesn't know Jay, you should check him out. He's hilarious and uh, very good. Um, I actually learned a, a decent amount about helic escapes from him. But what I took most from that class was uh, non-rotational breaking mechanics on a heel hook. I learned how most people learned 
so a couple of years ago, like the thing to do was to have a rotational finish. And I actually think John Danher used to show a rotational finish in his in his initial like heel hook um, breaking mechanics. You know, you isolate the uh, the heel and then the hip and the knee, and then you rotate through. Um, and that he never explained it this way, but that partially works because you take away all the slack in the shin, so the shin the shin bone doesn't move anymore. And then it therefore doesn't, it's not a shock absorber for all the pressure put to the knee. So the knee breaks in, in part. There's other things, of course, but that's one of the things. And so Jay was showing uh, um, for the break, you uh, um, isolate the heel and take away all the slack in the shin so that the shin can't rotate. Because at a certain angle, your shin actually rotates. If you, if you like bring your heel to your butt, you can actually just rotate the shin and not move the knee. Yep. As you extend your leg out, um, there's a certain at a certain degree, and I think it varies per person based on their uh, anatomy. But at a certain point, it, you can't isolate the shin movement alone. You have to move the the knee and like the the hip in order to move the shin. Yeah, I think they call and it so, like um, patellar lockup or, or something similar yeah, to that. But yeah, the it, way the bones are shaped exactly as your leg straightens and they fit inside each other, and, and you can't. Uh, turn them independently. It's a full, it's a, it's, it's, it's a full leg movement. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. so I actually have been working with a physiotherapist, uh, physiotherapist doing, um, functional range conditioning. And so, uh, among other things, really what that is, is it's isolated joint movements hmm. to like open up and find uh, strength and end ranges. You have to learn how to isolate all your joints different, like singularly. So, um, like a shoulder shrug, isn't like, I'm not using my lats and my, my stomach to like shrug my shoulders and peel them back. I'm using only my scapula. Okay. So I learn how to like have proper structure and posture with just a scapula. I'm not utilizing my lower back muscles. Well, you know, he's showing me like, how do you have proper flexion and flexibility in your knees? You need to learn how to isolate your shins only so that that part of your body will actually learn how to, you, you'll have strength there and you'll have rotation. And then you can start to learn how to isolate your, um, your hamstring muscle and then your, your, your glute and your quad and like all those kinds of things. And so as I'm learning this, I'm like, oh, well then he'll look at rotational. He'll look as easy. You just straighten the leg out and isolate the heel so it can't move. And then the whole leg can't move. If you isolate the hip and the heel and you straighten the leg, there's literally no movement in the knee. Yeah. Because the only way to move it is to move everything. And if you have both ends isolated, then you break the knee. It's the same thing as an arm bar. When you get an arm bar, you want to pull the slack out of the shoulder and don't let the wrist rotate. And then you don't even really need a bridge. You just like pull the elbow over like a fulcrum, like your leg. And then there's just no movement. There's no absorber, shock absorber. And I was like, so the heel hook escape he was showing was, I was like, why you, know, you, you, you want to crunch into the hip when you're holding the heel. And I'm like, well, don't you want to extend instead so that you can remove all this, all, you know, all the tension. And he's like, yeah, if you're doing rotational, but when it comes to braking mechanics, what, what's actually more effective because of the power that you can generate is to scoot yourself closer to your buddy's hip. So bend their knee when you have the heel, rotate the, the heel so that there's no, the shin can't, if you hold the heel and rotate it at a, to the point to where the shin can no longer rotate, there's all the uh, tensions taken out. Then all you have to do is bridge through the knee and it'll break. And you're able to generate more power that way because of the bridging motion. Hmm. And so it's not a rotation across the body. It's simply you basically just rotate the foot in or out, depending on whether you're doing inside or outside heel hook. Um, and you just hold the heel and then you just bridge into the knee for like a, it's like a side, it's like a side knee bar. 
like you just bridge sideways into the knee and because you're you're holding the heel there's all the slack that would be in the shin that would be in the ankle um that's all removed because of the angle of your foot and then there's nothing left but the heel the the knee to just break and i was like oh shit like now that makes more sense. I've heard people talk about it. Sean's mentioned it. Um, Sean has been on our podcast a few times. He's actually mentioned that to me a couple of times over the years, but it never is like really stuck because I haven't really trained legs in a year because of COVID. And I'm one of the few who does leg locks in our gym. And so like, I don't get a lot of practice with it as much as I would like. And as soon as he showed that, I was like, I know Sean's told me that like two years ago and I just (laughs) forgot about it. And I was like, but like, it really made sense because he was like holding me in the position. And I'm like, I'm like, I can like, he held my heel in such a way that like I could barely move without like feeling pressure. And, and then he hadn't even bridged yet. And I was like, okay, I understand what you're talking about now. Like if you don't hold the heel, I can rotate because my legs bent. So I can just rotate my shin and my foot and there's no heel hook. Like you, you have to really turn the heel in order to make it work. But once you have that control, it's a, it's a very controlled position. Um, and so the dig is important there, but, uh, and I'm sure there's more to it. Sean's going to listen to this and be like, Bo, you're an idiot. You're missing five <laughs> things. But, um, but yeah, that was very interesting. Uh, I did a lazy takedowns class with, uh, that D one wrestler I was talking about. He, um, I was able to attend one of his other classes and he talked about lazy takedowns, which really is just breaking posture, like with a collar tie and then laying your head and your shoulders over your buddy's head and then just hanging on them until they fall over. Yeah, that sounds right. So if you can get them, it's the lazy version. Yeah, it's the lazy version of doing a snap down. So normally with a snap down, you'd like violently pull their head to the ground. This is just like the lazy version where you as you break their posture with the collar tie or you their posture is broken. So you slap a collar tie, you pull their head under your chin and then you just back your feet up away from them so that you have more weight on them. You put all your weight on their shoulders and their head and then you just like slowly take them down. That's it. And if they don't go down, you just bring them down enough to where you can tap their knee instead of the ankle because it's easier. So therefore, it's lazier. Um, and then they fall over because you just push them over because you have their knee. It was hilarious. Like it, the whole time he was like gracefully doing this with like the least amount of energy. He would just like <laughs> fall on his part on his buddies and just like smash them. He wouldn't use his hands. He would just like lay on them. And be like, this is, I don't need, and then he would like float past their legs as they tried to get him into guard. And he's like, this is lazy. I just move my body. I don't do anything. And I was like, why don't you do the ankle pick? Cause like, I'm thinking front, you know, you snap down into front headlock into ankle pick. Like that's what I like to do. And he, he just looks at me for a couple seconds and he's like, that's too much work. <laughs> it's, it's way down there. I got a knee right here. He's like, he's like reaching his hand out. And he's like, I can't reach the ankle, but I can touch the knee. He's like, that's a stupid question. <laughs> I was like, thanks. <laughs> nice. But that was super informative. Um, I took a class by Christian, the founder of the Globetrotters camp. He, um, he talked about how he teaches takedowns. Hmm. And um, that was probably one of the best run classes I've ever been to. Interesting. How so? So he, he turns it into like a long, first what he'll do is he'll have people. He he doesn't actually do takedowns. He has people go from standing to like an inside tie or like a, um, a collar tie or a single leg to hold the single leg or like a, you'll lift somebody up and hold them or, um, You'll get a clinch inside, like whether it's uh, the T position clinch or a clinch from the back um, 
whatever. And that's the game. He's like, just go do that. So you could start from a collar tie with a wrist control. You could have no control whatsoever, whatever. And then he'll let people try and get their underhooks and get to the side, get to a single, whatever. And there's just no takedown. You just, you just do that. And then he'll correct some things if he needs to. And he's like, that's one class. You just do that game the whole time. And then I just correct things as I see them. If people are having trouble getting arms out of the way to get to this, the T position, I'll show ways to do that. If they're having trouble lifting the leg for a single, I'll show that, whatever. And then, so we did that for a few minutes and that was exhausting because it's stand-up stuff. So it's exhausting. And um, and then from there, he's like, now he makes it a, now it's a game. Now it's not just you try it and you get it. It's your, your buddy's actively trying to stop you. And if you can hold them for three or five seconds, you win. And if you can lift up a leg for three seconds, you win or pick him up for three seconds, you win. And then you repeat. And then he played a, a class game where he, cause it was like a hundred people in this class. So we separated everybody based on weight. So there was certain weights, like weight categories. So he broke it up into like five different categories. And this is actually the game he did. And I haven't done it yet, but I want to, is he makes it an interactive game between the people who are playing the game and everyone who's watching he turned on uh, Hell's Bells was the first song that he turned on. But he turned on um, uh, or Thunderstruck, sorry, Thunderstruck by ACDC. But what you do is because there was so many people, he had five category, five weight categories. And you have the first two people go out and this is a fight. Like your job is to either get a single, get an, get both hands inside, get un- under hooks essentially and uh, clasp your hands together for three seconds, lift them up for three seconds or get um both hands over and inside the arms from like a front headlock position. He didn't want one hand over the head and one hand inside the arm. He wanted both over the arms um, just because he didn't want to worry about people getting uh, choked too tightly during this, but uh, to make it easy. Um, but you're just trying to get a control position for three seconds. And so it's like a straight up King of the Hill situation. If you win, you stay. Oh, okay. So that's the first thing. So there's a little bit of competition. So it's it's nerve wracking. And the second part was uh, um, uh, class participation. Everyone who wasn't actually competing had to at all times be um, actively either encouraging one of the people or talking shit to one of the people <laughs> to simulate like a um, a competition. Right. Okay. And he, he, he actually, he, he would end up stopping in the middle and telling people that they weren't participating enough on the sidelines. He's like, I want more shit talking. You need to point someone out and shit talk them. Tell them they're going to do a bad job. Tell them their mama hates them, like whatever. And, um, you know, they were adopted, like, you know, their hair looks bad, whatever. <laughs> and then, so you had a bunch of people like screaming at people they didn't know, like tell them they smelled bad. And like one of the girls next to me, she's like, eat a dick. It's <laughs> <Just>, like <laughs> super loudly. <laughs> It's like over everybody, you just hit, you just hear this girl say, "Hey, guy with the black hair, eat a dick." <laughs> just like random shit like that, and um, but it like it was like super intense, and so like I was getting like my hands were starting to shake a little bit before it was my turn, um, and uh, I ended up staying out there for a couple of rounds, like three or four rounds, and by the time I was done, um, I was like fucking dead, sure, like just yeah. beyond dead, exhausted, and no one got hurt. No one, if we, you were, t- if you both fell down or someone was taken down, you reset. Um, and, uh, there was very few takedowns on accident. Um, I actually was lifted off the ground by someone a little bit bigger than me. He was a lankier guy my, about my size. And, um, I had, a, I had, a, um, 
not quite a guillotine grip, but it was similar. And he like picked me up. <laughs> and that was terrifying because I basically was like wrapped around his head and he was like six, three. And so I got really high <laughs> in the air. It was really fucking scary. <laughs> But uh, that was like a, just a really good class. It was um, super exciting, super intense. Um, I think very much mimics a uh, uh, what what I remember of competition. You know, you're just kind of got that nervous energy, or your fingers go a little numb in anticipation of going out there and stuff. And uh, um, because it was King of the Hill, once you won, the person who was next actually had to run out and try and grab you, no matter what position you were in. So oh. there was actually a few people who they were facing away from the, the, the crowd, the people that were waiting and they would like get their person. It would be three seconds. That person would run off and then the person would run up and grab them behind the back and try and win. And so it was almost kind of like a shark tank style where like, there's no breaks for you. There's no slap and goes. It was just go, 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 go. So the person who's out there who wins gets exhausted. And like one kid won, like he clearly was a, a bit of a wrestler. And he won like eight or nine times in a row in our weight, in our, in our weight, um, our, our weight, my, 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 my class, my group. And, um, by the end of it, he was like, he was just dying. And, um, that was probably one of the funnest classes I've ever done. And, uh, that sounds like something now we I need should to, take, a, take a shot at. Yeah. No, very true. Now I just need to figure out a way to to safely teach the kids to talk shit to each other. <laughs> <laughs> so I can because I think the kids would really like it. And um I, but uh but yeah, so that, that was just a huge amount of fun. And um I'm trying to think of what other classes I had. There were there were a few others that uh that come to mind, but I'm um one guy showed some uh some actually really insightful um framing techniques for the when you get flattened out in the bottom half guard. Mm -hmm. Oh, so that was really cool. I, uh, you showed me the other night. Oh yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, so yeah. I showed you, you last night, uh, two nights ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just like um, basically structurally appropriate, uh, structurally correct framing that uh, such that um, there's like dick moves that are appropriate. I wouldn't so, even like, call uh, it a dick move, man. I mean, it's yeah, I, I call it a dick move because <laughs> it doesn't feel good. It's like if you, if you have proper shoulder control from the top of side control, like it's a dick move, but it's like proper shoulder controls, like, you know, a shoulder, shoulder adjustive stuff. It's like proper head control. Yeah. And so like, just to be in that position sucks for the person on bottom. Like it, it's not very nice. So like, it's, it's kind of one of those like border yeah. to advance your position. That's all yeah. I'm trying to encourage and you so, though. That's it. <laughs> no, I need the encouragement because I try and be nice. And then I, I get into the, I get flattened in half guard and I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> and then I get head and armed head and arm choked because like arm triangled because like I don't want to like frame into the jaw with my elbow and like move your face because it doesn't feel good. And I'm like, no, I'll just try and push a little bit at the neck and like I'll I'll try and create space with your shoulders and the whole time like I'm just getting arm triangled. And uh, now that I figured this out and this black belt's like, no, no, this is a contact sport. You need to you need to do this. Now I'm just going to like elbow everyone in the jaw and like they're going to hate me for it, but I'm going to get out. <laughs> and um and so uh, I showed uh, showed the the boys this morning at uh, open when we were grappling this morning that and they were they were like oh yeah I like this I'm like I'm sorry for this every time I'm like I'm so sorry for this but then I like punch them in the face and move them you know because um, <laughs> one of the motions is like to make a fist and like put it in the jaw and just like move the head because the only really efficient way to move the head left to right like that is to use the jaw yep yep like it's the only lever in the head that goes left to right. I can't really, I could pull your ears and that actually probably would be effective, but I'm more likely, I think, to pull your ears off than I am to move your head left to right. Cause of the, you don't need, you don't need a lot of pressure. Like 
to pull the ears, I think. And so, um, yeah. but yeah, the, the jaw moves left to right real easy and you just got to do it as a fluid motion and it'll work. And so, um, I was like, yeah, it's about time. I learned, I learned this stuff. I get smashed in half guard all the time. So, and I think it'll work. I haven't tried it yet in side control, but I think it'll work in side control as well. So I don't see why it wouldn't. Um, so I'm going to be trying that when I get stuck in the bottom of side control too. And, uh, I'm going to piss off everyone in class. I'm you super, can always I'm move. Like just <laughs> yeah. Don't be mad because somebody's making a losing position. I don't know. Yeah. I also I'm like shoulder show all, justice. So. Yeah. I'm going to show all the kids how to do shoulders to justice. And then I'm going to counter it with this move. And they're all going to go home with like bruised chins. <laughs> I guess jujitsu. <laughs> it's the gentle it's jujitsu <laughs> but yeah it was um super good experience uh the biggest takeaways really honestly were social like i had some really i learned a lot of stuff like all the stuff i just mentioned i, I learned a lot from the classes but these are designed to be social in nature and they're they're hugely social um because this is a camp everyone's in a in a space together, we all eat at the mess hall together. Um, there was a lot of shared experiences. I had five cabin mates, five bunk mates, and um, we got pretty close. Like it was just a lot of fun. And um, you meet a lot of different people, have a lot of fun experiences with them on the mats and off the mats. Uh, a lot of inside jokes, a lot of hanging out at night. Um, a lot of people like to drink. So they were drinking until three in the morning and then doing classes. I didn't really do that, but, um, <laughs> it's not really my thing, but, uh, I, you know, I had a few drinks while we were, I was there, but nothing that intense, but, um, you know, we had bonfires and game nights and stuff like that. And it just, it was, it was just a really fun experience. You know, um, I was talking to my girlfriend about it, but, uh, people don't do this in, in, in normal society, but when you like walk by somebody and they like wave and say hi to you, it's kind of weird, especially in the Northwest. Like we're, we're known as like Seattle's known as like the, yep. the, the, the Seattle freeze, right? People don't talk to each other. And right. I think like East coasters, like New Yorkers and stuff are like, if you like stare and talk to people, like they get kind of angry. So like, leave me the fuck alone. Um, but every time I was walking somewhere, at least one person said hi to me. Whether I was looking at them or not, if I was just walking, they'd say hi. And I'd do the same thing. And they would respond back cheerily, like, hey, how's it going? Like, how are you doing? We didn't stop for very long. We decided, I'm doing well, thanks, bye. You know, we'd walk away. But every, like, it happened three times, four times a walk. So I'd go to my cabin to use the bathroom and come back, like, whatever. So this probably happened 20 times a day. People I'd never met. Everyone was, like, super open. and Like, it was one of those, like, kind of emotional moments where I was like, people are just, like, really happy to be together. And they're super friendly. They're here for a shared cause. Like they really like this kind of stuff. And like, they're just, there's like spreading the love. And it's like, this is the kind of shit our country needs. Yeah. Super healthy. You know, like I had, a, right. I had an epiphany at one point. I was just like, fuck, like, like, that's why I was a little emotional is it was like, people are just like happy to say hi to each other on literally on the side of a street. Like we're walking down like a, you know, a, a small road that cars don't really go down, but it's still a road on this camp. And, you know, we're walking, someone's on the other side, I'm on my side and they're like, Hey, how's it going? Like, good to see you. Like, nice job today. Or, you know, see you at the next class or see you at lunch. You know, let's get, let's roll later. Okay, cool. Bye. You know, I got to pee. Bye. And then just, you go about your day and then, you know, but it would happen 20 times in a day. And it's like, there's like, and I remember feeling like really good about that. There's something really, um, heartfelt and uplifting about, that friendliness, even though it's brief, 
it's and it was but it was genuine no, I, I never felt like anyone was forced to they notice the eye contact and then they feel awkward and they have to say hi nothing like right. that you know like you see someone in the store and you don't really want to talk to them but they see you and then you're like fuck i have to say hi to this person <laughs> it was nothing like that it was like oh hey how's it going like i could be looking down at the ground and they would say hey how's it going bo I'd be like, oh, hey, what's up, man? You know, like I just sometimes I just look down when I walk and they would say hi and I'd say hi. We'd stop for a second. Then I'd leave and uh, just pure, genuine interest about how people are doing, wanting to say hi and just like pure love. Um, And uh, so uh, Lex Friedman would be proud because there was a lot of love. (laughs) And um, but uh, and this is one of the few times we'll admit that it was that all you need is love. Like I think that really helped. I don't think that that's always true, Lex, if you're listening to our podcast. Um, but love alone won't heal the world. But I do think that it was something that definitely helped, like, fuel the um, the positive vibes at the camp. And um, so that, that it was a really it was really special. It was really nice. And um, had it just been like, you know, 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., only jujitsu and open mats and none of that friendly shit, it probably would have been a wouldn't have been as fun for me. I wouldn't have enjoyed it. Honestly, I, I would have got a lot out of it, but I think it would have been, um, it would like, I definitely know it wouldn't have been as fun because it just would have been a grind. That's fucking awesome, man. And you say they're, yeah. they're doing yeah. these roughly once a month, huh? Yep. Worldwide. And so, um, they've won in Arizona in November. Um, the next one in three weeks is in, in, in mid July is in Iceland. Um, which I would love to go to. <laughs> that but would be rough because I bet you're going to get a whole bunch of the uh, the powerlifting scene from uh, Iceland. Yeah. It's just come so smash it, everybody. A, yeah. So it was actually held at Mjolnir Gym, which is the biggest uh, MMA jiu-jitsu gym in Iceland. It might actually be the only one. I don't know. But um, I, th- I read somewhere that like a tenth of the population of Iceland is a member of this gym because Iceland's so small. <laughs> <laughs> All both of them come here. It's also a huge gym too, but, uh, um, yeah, so they, uh, that's big. Um, it's also isolated too. There's no camp. Like you don't stay in like a barracks or anything. Um, you'll stay around ice around Reykjavik where it's located. Um, so it'll be a little bit less, um, compact. Gotcha. Like our camp was, cause not all of them are like that. A lot of them are like, you go to a city and you stay in hostels or you stay at Airbnbs or hotels. And then you, you go to the, the camp or to the gym where everything's at, and then you train and then you go home and then maybe you meet friends and you guys go do stuff or you don't, whatever. Um, that I think would be a little bit less, uh, inclusive in this regard. Um, unlike the camp where you're all, you're all kind of stuck on this, in this campground, you know, hundreds of acres like a mile like four square miles of like woods and camp like this like i said the place is gigantic um so unless you leave with a car to go somewhere you're not you're like you're gonna be around everyone all day um so it's a little bit different of environment i'm sure but still like a lot of fun and um there's a the, the christian the owner he organizes a bunch of stuff to do during the camp and outside of the camp um some of the camps you go to are castles and stuff if there's castles around um, in a lot of the European countries, there's obviously lots of castles, and so they go tour castles together and shit. Hmm. Um, they do workshops where you learn business stuff, how to run a competition team. I didn't go to it, but one of the guys at, at the the camp I went to, um, he talked about what it's like to be a, a an aviator, like to fly commercial airplanes, and to be a former Navy pilot, um, and how that translates to jujitsu. 
Uh, I took uh, Christian's creativity class. He does a workshop every camp about cre- creativity because he's a very creative individual. Um, Globetrotters is not even, it's only one of like the creative things he's done. It's the biggest, but um, I think just globally, but uh, he's done many other things that are equally absurd and creative. And um, he has like a clothing line. He created a uh, BJJ belt checker, which is a like a, a belt checking website similar to IBJJF um, in terms of verifying your belt rank. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because I've been uh, meaning to check that out. Yeah, and he uh, he started an affiliate program that's no cost, but is now uh, there's no fees or anything for it or requirements, unlike every other affiliate program. Yeah. And it's now the largest affiliate program in the world. There's like a thousand affiliates. Wow. Um, yeah, and so he's done m- many other things, but uh, well, he I, I yeah, listened so, to that talk that you'd sent on, on uh, YouTube, uh, the talk that Christian gave. I assume it was similar to what you got to see in person. Uh, but super good. I, that would probably be worth linking in the show notes because um, mm-hmm. he's definitely a a guy that makes things happen. But he's not like super intense uh, Silicon Valley twenty five no. hour days grind grind grind. That's not him. But he is making shit happen. Uh, I, I found that a very refreshing approach. Yeah, I think the biggest difference between what you're describing and what he does is. Um, his uh his focus on karma yeah so um he lists out five things that he tries to do every day to help with his uh creative drive and to cultivate um the life that he wants to lead and one of those is karma and so often what he'll what he means by that is that he um he refuses essentially to do things for people with the expectation that something will be done for him he just does them so if someone needs something He's the first person, he says, almost exclusively always to help that person, regardless of what's in it for him. Because he believes that if he can flood the world with good karma, at some point, it'll come back to help him. He doesn't expect the help. He doesn't know when it's going to come about. But he's not like, oh, I'll help you move if you feed me. He's like, I'll just help you move. Don't give a fuck. And then in three years, something crazy will happen. You know, and um, he told a story and I, I forget the full details of the story, but um, basically he, what did he do? He helped somebody do something for free and I forget exactly what it was, but he helped him do something and he, um, or this is what it was. He developed, have you seen the shirts and the coffee mugs that are like eat, sleep, train, repeat? Yes. So he created that. That's actually his idea. I'm oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah, like five, six, eight years ago, he created that whole thing. And now there's like eat, sleep, drink, coffee, repeat. Like there's just a, a bunch of variants that aren't jujitsu related, but there's still the jujitsu ones. Yeah. And um, he tried to run a shirt company with that and it, it, it failed. He lost like a thousand dollars and he like stopped doing it. This guy reached out to him and was like, um, like a year or two after he closed it down. It's like, can I buy one of your shirts or 20 of your shirts or whatever? I like them. And he's like, I don't really want to open the, the, the business back up. He's like, why don't I, he's like, I'll tell you what, I'll just give you the business, the Shopify account, um, all the, the pixel information from Facebook. Cause he ran ads. I'll give you all the, um, the vector files and stuff for the designs, everything for free. Here you go. Don't worry about it. No problem. He's like, Oh, cool. Thank you. Didn't think about it. A couple of years went by. He, um, I forget exactly how it happened, but he basically got a call 
because he was going around. I think what it was is he was going around. It was during his six month tour of training of, of traveling the world to train. He basically was like he reached out to people and was like, I will teach classes for free. Just give me a place to sleep. That's all I want. Just give me a place to sleep and I'll teach for free. And he managed to basically train for like nine months at like 60 different countries or locations or whatever. And he got a call from somebody who was like, hey, I want you to come to St. Barth, St. Barthelemy in the, you know, the French colonies down in the Caribbean and do this. Come to find out. He's like, I want you to come down here. I'll set you up. And then I'd like you to move and open up a gym here. And it turns out the guy who like reached out to him for that um, was the brother of the guy he gave all the designs to. Oh. And so we, he's lived in St. Barth for like six years and runs a gym down there because like th- four years earlier, he gave this stuff to this guy and the guy was so appreciative. He told his brother about this jujitsu guy. Um, he was doing all this shit. And the guy's like, why well, we don't have jujitsu here. I'd love to reach out to this guy and called him up. I was like, I'll fly you out to teach at my gym or whatever, you know, at this, at this place. I have like, a, I think he had like a, a small gym for like working out or whatever. And the guy, the guy was a wealthy guy. And he's like, I will fly you out, you and your family, to come check it out and, to, and to, to, to cover all expenses and you can teach. And then now he lives there and now he runs a gym. And he's like, karma came back. He's like, you know, my brother's the guy who got the designs or the guy like walked in and was like, yeah, this is my brother. Like he's wearing one of the shirts and like it was his whole thing. And he actually forgot that he had ran the business, created the sign and created the shirt and then had given it to this guy. And he's like, oh, shit, it's been like five years. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> and he's like, karma. He's like, I, I didn't have any expectations. It just came around and, you know, it just came back to me. Yeah. And um, but I, I think that's the big difference is that, like, you know, you have that the uber successful, very um, focused, hyper competitive power broker businessman yeah. who is like a shark. And it's very selfish and it's successful. Like, don't get me wrong. Like these people are uber successful. And then you have what Christian does, which is utilizes the same methods required to be an elite performer. Like that's the one thing I noticed when he in his talk is that we talk, we've talked a lot about high performance. Um, everything Christian does is the exact things that every elite performer does. They're no different. They're literally no different. It's the same, same thing. He works harder than everyone else at what he does, but he doesn't specialize first off. And he, in terms of how like, power broker, high performer, like business sharks are, he's not a shark. He's much more peace, love, karma, good karma into the world, but he works equally hard. He just, it's just, his focus is different. He's much more focused on bringing good vibes into the world than he is on making money and winning. That's awesome. So it's very, it's like the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. 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 And as a result though, too, like you have, um, people who are hyper-focused and good at one thing. And then you have him who's, a, as he calls it, a renaissance man, which I think is actually correct, a polymath, mm-hmm. right? He's a polymath. Like the old school guys, you know, the Da Vinci's and the um, the Machiavelli's and the Newtons and stuff, like they were all, Ben Franklin, they were all writers and poets and mathematicians and physicists and astronomers. And a lot of them were, um, they were into alchemy until they... It, science was actually founded. Um, but alchemy was actually broken down into more than just turning shit to gold. It was actually, a lot of it was actually about like, um, um, how to make yourself a better person. So there's more there's metaphysics, honestly, like okay. that was, it was, a the precursor, I think to metaphysics really, um, in, in that sense. But, uh, 
you know, you think of yourself as like metaphysically being gold or good um, or uh, uh, rare um, and, and, and proper and, and worth something. But um, that's that's what he's trying to do versus trying to be a specialist. He's trying to be um, a handyman, but a very good one because yeah. he works really hard. And then you know, he mentioned multiple times like the whole point for me is like, I may not be like, he said, one of the things is he got a job out of college because he was a graphic designer. He had a little bit of graphic design experience and a little bit of coding experience working in college for doing, going to college for this stuff, but then also working a job for free. Um, that when he graduated, he was the only one who knew enough about coding to do the job that they were asking him to do, but he could also do the graphic design front end stuff. And he was the only one who could do both. So he got a job. Yeah. He couldn't be a graphic designer or a coder. He wasn't good enough to do either. But he was the only one who could do both proficiently or really just at all, but proficiently enough to be able to handle the whole project. And so he got a job. And he's like, that's what I try and do is I try and be better than most everybody at something, which is easy to do. Um, getting your blue belt in jujitsu will make you better than 99% of people in the world yep. at jujitsu slash probably just any kind of physical education. Um, at least your size, right? You know, if you're a blue belt and someone's got 90 pounds on you, you're probably still fucked. Um, if they're aggressive, unless you're really good, but, uh, that's just because they have 90 pounds on you. So what are you going to do? But, and then you take a bunch of those different things that you're good at, and then you meld them together in something weird. And then you're the best person in the world at this weird thing. And that's what makes you successful. I have had similar experiences in my life. Uh, definitely not to the same uh, outward degree of success that Christian has. I'm sure he's working harder than I do. Uh, I work plenty hard, but some people can just <laughs> can just keep motoring all day every day. Um, but yeah, it's that that's been a similar experience. Like I said, for me, in that if you just give out good in the world without expectation of return, it tends to come back. But the that's the karma. It's a classic understanding of karma. But the, the catch is, as soon as you start counting it, which means you have an expectation, but as soon as you start counting on what it is you're giving away, then you don't get shit back. You know, and, and I think that's a, it's almost a personal test to make sure that you're coming from a place of love. Like you're, you're giving just to be a good person. You want to help out just just give and help and eventually from some way that you could never predict it will come back to you uh, and everybody will also say that you're super lucky but that's not really the case you're just giving out enough good into the world that it's inevitable something's going to come back but you just got to trust the process yep. and let it happen if you're waiting if you're well six months ago i did x y and z for you and i think so and so should be hooking me up that shit never works um no, very true. But yeah, just just keep doing good. It's like uh, um, Zig Ziglar, old uh, sales trainer guy, says you have yeah yeah you can have anything in life that you want as long as you help enough other people get what they want. And if you just focus on helping other people, it just comes back to you. Well, it's I, I think there's an actual term for this, but um, we've talked a little bit about this uh, in in other aspects in other podcasts. But if you focus on certain things. That's what you'll see in life, right? So we, we brought it up with um, talking about racism. If, if you only ever focus on how racism is everywhere, then you're only ever going to see racism. Yeah. 
because that's all you focus on, yep. um, right? As, as one example that we've talked about in the past, this isn't any different um, fundamentally. If you focus on putting good vibes out into the world, on helping people, then that's what will that's what you'll see in your life. You'll see good things. You'll see good karma. And it, once you start expecting things, um, that immediately derails that problem, that, that, that whole plan, because you're doing it for selfish reasons. And so it's just going to make you bitter and resentful because if it doesn't come back, then you're going to feel bad. And then you're putting, you're actually putting out negative energy. And so all you're ever going to see is negative energy. It has that counterintuitive effect of, oh, I'm putting good energy out into the world and I'm waiting for good energy to come back. Why isn't it coming back? Because I'm putting good energy out. It's like, because you're not putting good energy. You're actually putting negative energy. A, because of the selfishness of B, because you're upset about it. And that's what seeps out into the world. And then all you see is the negativity because nothing happens the way you want it to. You have to do it in a way that's selfless may be the right term, but do it in such a way where there's no expectation. Yeah. And if you focus on those things, then it's like, you know, focus on the positive things in life and you'll stay happy or whatever. That kind of, that kind of shit. It's like, it, that's what that is. It's like, um, that's a little, uh, woo woo for me, but, uh, you know, you, you focus on that. And then all of a sudden what you, what you tend to see in life is the beauty and the happiness or the, the, the positivity in life. And people will feed off of that. And then you'll see more people who also feel that way. And then they're more likely to do things for you naturally because they're similar to you, you know, and then it just, it kind of snowballs. Dude, totally. I think there's, right. there's a, uh, as I'm kind of thinking out loud here, but there's a psychological aspect to it that I would say falls in line with, or, or is adjacent to the law of attraction, which of course yeah. got way overblown and the secret made it look really stupid. But there's there's still a, there's an essence that is important to, you know, call it the law of attraction or, or whatever. But um, like minded people tend to find each other. And this can yes. manifest in all kinds of different ways. If you're a fucking shark at heart and you want to go compete in the business world and fucking crush everyone. And if you're on my team, we're here to dominate, win, 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 win. There's plenty of people out there that are like that. And you're going to find them. you'll find them and you'll be able to compete and you may be you know, incredibly successful, um, but it's, it's, living, it's living that kind of lifestyle. Not, not great for me. Some people dig it and more power to them. But on the flip side, if you like to help people, if you like to give, then if you're just pushing good out into the world, there are other people that are just like that that will notice that. And say, oh, this is a good person here. I want to be around this person. So they just they they end up in your orbit for whatever fucking random reason. But now you're you're surrounding yourself with good people that like to help each other. And there's mm -hmm. plenty of those people that are super successful in the world too. So eventually somebody will know somebody else that, you know, has got some money to spend and they want your services or, or whatever. You know, it, it comes up in seemingly random ways. Um, but nice people like to help other nice people. Yeah, and Broadly, what you're describing is culture. Yeah. That's really what it is, is you're, you're describing culture or social grouping. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, which I think is, in this case, is the same thing. It's, um, it's almost like a psychological people, culture. So it's not like physical yeah. boundaries, but there are just those types of people that we just kind of find each other yeah. and hang out. Yeah. Right. And that's why I said, yeah, that's what I was, that's what I was thinking of when I said social grouping is that it, it's, it's, it's a, um, a metaphysical style. It's, there's no physical boundary behind it. It's like, cause humans bounce from group to group to group. And if they fit in, they stay. And if they don't, they go to another one. 
And that's the importance in part of having groups and individuals is that if there's no individual, then you're just stuck in a group and there's no way to bounce from a group to a group because there's no individual to do so. And so you need to take what you have as, a, as an individual, bring it to a group. And if you don't fit, you get ostracized from the group, technically speaking. And then you go to another one and then you're part of multiple groups. So you can bring different things to different groups because of who you are as an individual, right? Yeah. Um, but all those groups have to be different. Otherwise, you have one mono group. You have just one big group. Right. Uh, and that's that doesn't work because people are like that only works if there's no individual. Right. Because otherwise there's just too many different people in one one big group. How is that supposed like there's there's gonna be too much difference? Yeah. Well, it's it's know, not a group anymore. It's just a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah, no, it's um it's very interesting in that when I actually went to his workshop, I didn't have like after reflection of a of, of a week, um I'm much more fired up and excited about revisiting his le- his workshop, his lecture than I was at the time, partly because I was exhausted. Um, I think I watched it on Thursday, maybe Wednesday. No, it was Thursday, I think. And Thursday or Friday. And um, I was just absolutely exhausted. I was hungry. He spoke an hour longer than he was supposed to, according to the schedule, Mm -hmm. because he talks a lot. And um, it was two hours instead of one. And I was just sitting there like a lot of what he said wasn't really new to me also. So because I was tired and my body was sore and I was hungry. I was like, this is okay. Like, it's fine. But he's, he's just saying things that I've been reading for the last six months. Mm-hmm. Nothing really new. He, he had broken a couple of things down, like the five things that he tries to do every day um, were, I thought, insightful. And just for the, for the listeners, um, the five things that he identifies when it comes to being creative is ideas, karma, skills, brains, and failure. Um, in for context, their brains doesn't mean like you're smart. It means um, basically having a large number of people to talk to because the more brains there are with their uh, first on something like on an idea, the the more likely it is to become a good idea. Right. Um, and so uh, at the time, I was just like, God, I just want to eat and take a nap, which is what <laughs> I did afterwards. I went straight to lunch. I wolfed down a shit ton of food and then took a nap. Um, and then like three days later, I was like, okay, this has got me real fired up. Um, because it's just one of those kinds of things where he's just talking about, Hey, like if you want to get shit done, you need to get shit done. Yeah. Work hard. And he did, he did in a very, yeah, I I think that the, or at least something that he emphasized a lot in the talk that, that I listened to on the YouTube, um, is the failure aspect of it. And yes, you know, like you, I've heard this a whole bunch of times. This is absolutely nothing new, but sometimes you just need a good refresher. Um, but it's to embrace the failure. And I've, I've uh, used and heard the metaphor of, of mining for gold, right? Like you don't go up to the mountain and put your shovel in, take out two shovels full of dirt, say, I don't see any gold. This is a bust and walk away. The same thing happens for your ideas. All of your mm-hmm. ideas at first are going to be shit is what Christian says, and I agree. But you have to get past the 99 truly shitty ideas to find the one idea that you can turn into something good, right? But if you stop early, you're never going to get there. So that dovetails into just keep doing, keep doing, keep doing. It's a shitty idea. Yep, yep, yep. Just keep churning through the shitty ideas. Here's another shovel full. Don't see any gold in that yet. Keep shoveling, keep shoveling, keep doing. And then eventually you're going to come across an idea that is really good. 
And of course, everybody else didn't see all the work you put in, so they're gonna think you're lucky, which is fine. That's part of why they're not successful. You just keep on digging, keep working your way through the shitty ideas, uh, and then yep. you'll be successful. And I think that's a, a very useful reminder to uh, just keep it moving. Keep doing, don't be afraid of failure. Yeah, exactly. And the, I think the biggest thing I took from his from his workshop was uh, he had said something because um, he doesn't like complaining. He's not a big complainer. But he, <laughs> Somebody he, should do something about this. Yeah. Yeah. So um, but he said that the, his favorite phrase or question or whatever or statement is somebody should do something about that. And because um, he hears it all the time. It, and it's people, you know, you'll see something that needs to get fixed, like a pothole. And, you know, what do you say? Someone should fix that. You know, somebody should do something about that. And he said, as much as he hates complaining, he loves that statement because every time it, what it does is it turns his brain. And he's like, how could I solve this problem? Because it's his natural reaction is like, well, why don't you fucking fix it then? Yeah. Like, get off your ass and fix the problem. If you're going to bitch about it, fix it. And then what he'll do is when he has thoughts like that, or he'll hear someone say that, he's like, how do I fix, how, how could I solve this problem for somebody? And then... That's kind of how he comes as he's came across basically all of the successes that he's had and failures, but all of the the ideas that he's had is he's like, like I think part of the reason he created his affiliate program is because everyone bitches about the craziness and the the cult aspect of um, the current IBJJF affiliate, how affiliates work in jujitsu, you know, and how they've especially worked in the past and they work less like that now. But it's like you got to pay a good amount of money, generally a large amount of money to your instructor at the top of the affiliate program for them to come out once a year to do a seminar that you have to still pay for. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you get access to their, you know, any of their uh, instructionals, but you still pay for them, maybe at a reduced cost. And then um, it somehow gives merit to like your, your belt or whatever. And um, you, you know, 10 years ago and prior, you couldn't train with certain people from other academies or train with anyone at all and show them your secrets. And like, there was all that shit going down. And you were, you um, know much more about that than I do. Cause you were around when that was a big issue mm -hmm. and like all that kind of stuff. And he's like, that's stupid. I just want to go. He's like, I'm an adult. Why should another adult tell me I can and can't train jujitsu? <laughs> so he's like, I'm just going to like, this sucks. I should just fucking fix the problem. So he's like, I just started an affiliate program where like it's free. Everyone can do whatever the fuck they want. They can train with whoever they want. I don't care. And he's like, I, I think he just started it simply as a way to find people who would let him train with them across the world. I think it was born from a totally different idea where he was like, I just wanted to go train with people. And so I found a list of people who across the world who would, I could show up and train or teach and it wasn't a problem for them. And then from that came this affiliate program. And, you know, he, he would get emails from people who were like, hey, you know, I um, I want to, you know, I want to compete, but my instructor won't let me because I'm a white belt. And he's like, okay, we'll just, you can train under our banner. Whatever. Yeah. If you like it, you can join a local gym that, you know, and that, that's an affiliate of mine and it's not a big deal. That kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, this it's, which is super cool. Um but uh, yeah, it, uh, that statement alone really, once I had a couple of days to like decompress from the whole camp and how intense it was and how, how great it was, but it was a lot. Um, 
that's kind of what stuck with me the most is like, and that's what's got me excited is it's like, how many, how many things can I think of in my life personally, professionally or whatever? Um, would I ask that, say that statement, somebody should do something about this. How many of those things are there yeah. and where can I start and how can I fix them? How can I solve those problems? And so, um, I've already started a small list, but, uh, I'll probably make an even larger list about all of the things that I would think of that of and then do what I can to fix those. Um, make it manageable so I don't get overwhelmed because there's probably going to, I know there's going to be a crap ton. I have like 50 of them in my head, but um, yeah, it's got me excited for this, this kind of stuff for first time in a while. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, it's a, it was a good workshop, good experiences overall, just going, um, is that everyone was super nice. I recommend anybody, um, everybody go to one of these. I, I'm, I'm stoked, especially if I can find one that uh, is that, that camp style. Um, cause I did a few yeah. camps when I was a kid and it's, it, it's a very specific vibe to, yeah. you know, going somewhere with a group of people that you don't know most of doing a thing, whatever it is, jujitsu in this case, but then eating in a mess hall of some sort, having a bonfire at night, uh, walking around all day, staying on that property. So you're all, you're waving to people that you kind of sort of know, or you're still part of mm -hmm. that group. I think that's hugely valuable. And it's, yeah. I, I would hypothesize that it, it goes down to kind of a genetic level in that that is more of what a human tribe you know, kind of like Dunbar's number, right? If you got 100, 150 people at a camp, that's really kind of the sweet spot for where, where genetically human beings are, are optimized to thrive, right? Um, yes, right, exactly. So just to tap into that for a short period of time, I think it'd be super valuable. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you got me thinking about this too. No, I, yeah. I, I got to find one of these I can attend. Yeah. So there's, um, I think four or so of the, of the 12 every year are camp style. Okay. Um, everyone's like on, on location the whole time. Um, one of them's the castle camp, which is extremely expensive, but takes place in a, uh, like a ninth century castle. Like it's actually in the castle and you wow. live in the castle. <laughs> um, and you have a private chef that cooks everyone's meals in the castle. Oh, wow. There's only 20 people like oh, that, that go. Okay. And there's like five instructors, so you basically just get private lessons for a week. Oh, um, and it's in the middle of uh, in the middle of Italy. Ooh, an Italian um, castle, even. Yeah. So uh, I will go to that one at some point in the future. It's probably like three or four thousand um, dollars, but uh, which is you know including like flights and stuff. It's fairly spendy, but I will. If I have, I, I will make sure that I make our jujitsu gym enough money that the boss will write it off as a tax, as like, as like a business expense. Yeah, there you go. I will make there it worth go. it for him so that I'm like, look, I've, I, I've, I've increased, you know, the amount of money that we're bringing in. Like, you can do this business expense um, so that I, I like can that go to idea. Italy for yeah. and, and train it as a business expense in a castle. Um, there's, uh, I think, at St. Barth, uh, his home gym. It's, um, there's like, uh, rooms and stuff on site. And, um, and if there's not, it's very close cause St. Barth is a, a small Island. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
And I think there's one other one that's also a, a camp style. It's another one in Europe, but I can't remember. I think it's the Zen camp in Poland. They have like a, a laid back, a lot of like yoga and um, meditation throughout and stuff. And it's like a, it's like a, like a Zen retreat Ooh, like place. That could be fun. People go, yeah, it looks really tranquil, but I think it's like a place where people go to like be silent for five days and shit like that. Like you got to find yourself like it's, it's a big sprawling, like a state where people go to like do yogic stuff like that. Is it like um, only that or does it still have some, some jujitsu? No, it's all. So I think it's what it's typically used for. They rent it out and do jujitsu ah, too. I see. I see. I see. But okay. it's it, it's like a it's it's like a, a compound that you go to if you outside of the jujitsu where you could just go and like learn mindfulness and like how to relax and stuff like that. Yeah. And so he rents it all out. And and the focus there is not so much on like having uh like we had um I didn't partake in this, but at our camp there was a pub crawl. Mm. But we're in the middle of the woods. Uh, and so the pub crawl was like three or four of the cabins had themes and then everyone who it was bring your own beer or, or and wine and stuff but people went from cabin to cabin as, as like a pub crawl I like, like it. that was yeah. been, it, w- it went from like 9 30 10 p.m to like three in the morning <laughs> um and so like i think that that sort of thing is not going to be done at the zen camp right I think it's going to be much more um, other things. But uh, and so some of it's themed like one of the camps, the the Austria camp is family. It's the only one where family can come so you can bring kids. Mm. And so they have kid activities. They're in an area where there's a lot of kid activities to do. So they have a lot of like uh, um, parks and uh, water parks and stuff like that. Um, But uh, yeah, so they they tend to uh, theme them up. There's a in Heidelberg, Germany, the summer camp. It's the biggest camp. There's like 400 people or something, I think, going. And uh, it's just a big party camp. So I think there might be more of a focus on partying than there was on jujitsu than that one. Um, But uh, he tries to like he he tries to like keep things on theme depending on where they're going. Gotcha. And um, I didn't realize that. I thought uh, they were all just like, you know, just the jujitsu training sessions or whatever not so much of a, a themed event which makes it even better yeah no he, he's he, he's much more it's much more wholesome or inclusive with like just every, like he wants to do everything so it's jujitsu camp is is a big focus he has instructors from the areas or he'll fly instructors in from other places um but there's got to be stuff outside of that and so he's really big on everything else and so there's a lot of a, he always does a lot of events that uh are outside of the jujitsu um that are themed to the, what they're, you know, where you're at. And so, um, we couldn't do a pub crawl cause there's not a lot, enough bars within walking distance. So we did one on site. Um, it was a big, uh, s'more, uh, there's a bonfire with like s'mores. He brought like a thousand marshmallows. Oh, geez. <laughs> um, they cook some kind of a Danish, uh, Danish bread that you like put jelly inside of and eat mm. And um, people call it Dick bread. Cause it's like, you like wrap it around a <laughs> stick and it looks like a, like a dick. Um, yeah. I forget what it's actually called. It's like a Danish thing, but, uh, there's like, if you like look it up online you look at pictures, it looks like a dick on the end of a stick. It's, um, <laughs> so it's, or, or a turd, I guess, if you, what, which either or, um, but, uh, yeah, he puts together a bunch of events like that. And so, um, at ours, there was a keg at the last open mat. And so, like, there was a keg next to the mat, like a keg of beer. Oh, gotcha. (laughs) So, for two hours, people were drinking out of a keg and grappling. No one got hurt, which I thought was amazing. Um, I I thought for sure someone was going to get hurt because 
drinking and jujitsu just never seems to work well yeah, for people. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not even interested in that idea. I'll smoke before I roll, but drinking, no, man. Yeah. Oh, there was so many people who were high. It was hilarious. Um, then, like, I, yeah, so many people. Just get the a good 30, 40, maybe 60 people were like, they hung out together, ate a lot of edibles, smoked a lot of weed, and then rolled. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of, one of the is not related to getting high, but um, one of the things I thought was really funny is because uh, I haven't really rolled at other gyms in a long time, and so I forgot that this comes up. But um, I'd be rolling people, and I don't know anybody there, and someone would like shoot up into like um, a single X guard or like an outside Ashi position or, or just like a, a regular Ashi position from underneath or something while I'm standing, and um, or they might try and like enter into a leg position. And having said nothing about doing legs and, um, they'll do that. And then I'll immediately like pommel my legs and shoot into a leg position and like grab a leg or something. Cause I know what they're doing yeah. and, or, or I'll push the leg away and try a toe hold or something. And I, I would say probably a dozen times the people's faces, they'd light up and they're like, Oh, you know, leg locks. Awesome. <laughs> and then, and they'd be like, sorry, I didn't ask you if you, we could do leg locks. Is that okay? And I'm like, if I can try and hit, try and heal up me, see what happens. Like, I don't care. <laughs> It's like, I'm either going to tap or I'm going to get out. So like, I, whatever. Nice. <laughs> but it's like the sheer joy in their face. Cause they forget to ask. <laughs> and then they're like, Oh, this person knows what they're doing. You know, they know how to do something. And I was like, yep, yeah, that's fine. Like you didn't ask. I don't care. Like I'm not <laughs> concerned about it. Just, you know, just don't Connie Basami me without me knowing. Cause then I'm going to fall on somebody and hurt my leg. Um, Cause it, it was a lot of people on the mats, but it was just really funny. Like it happened like a dozen times. People like they would just do something that was, I could tell that they were playing around with legs or they actually really liked leg locks. And most people wouldn't react the way that I do. And they're like, Oh, you like leg locks. Awesome. And I'm like, yeah, don't do that again. Cause I'm going to stop it. Like <laughs> it's not going to work. Like, <laughs> nice. Yeah. I think, I think but, we're kind of yeah, hitting yeah, that yeah. tipping point with leg locks. Like it's no longer that weird new thing or whatever. It's getting generally yeah. more accepted. Yeah. No, very true. I mean, after five years of intense um, leg locks in the competition scene and then IBJJF finally legalizing them, um, the heel hooks at least. And I think it's I think it's brown and black belt only, but uh, um, still legalizing it. I think that that's going to change some things for sure. Um, Hopefully. I mean, it's. I, you know, you just practice stuff like I'm not I'm not that concerned by people putting me in an inside heel hook position. Like where they have like an inside heel. Like if I feel pressure, I tap. Or if I if I if they're coming on strong, like I I can tell that their pressure game is good. Like all their control positions are good. I'll just tap. Yeah. Like I know when I can't turn and get my heel out. Like I, I it's you know there are going to be some people who their mechanics are so good that by the time I realize what they're doing, like the break is already on, and that obviously is scary. But I know enough personally to like I'm not all that concerned about it most of the time you know it's like okay i know where you're going with this if i can't move i'll tap if if i don't know you i'll just tap early because i don't want to deal with it and until i can feel out what you're able to do then i'll tap later and later and if we get some trust then i'll i'll let you hold it for a second so i can try and move out of it and that's what i do with most of my training partners is i trust them and so they'll get a position and i'll probably fuck around in it for 10 seconds the whole time i know they have the heel like, I know I, you know, if they wanted, my leg would be broken 10 seconds ago, but they hold it and I, I move a bit and maybe I get out and then we, we just continue. It's like, okay, we both know I didn't, I didn't get out of that because I knew what I was doing. I got outside time. Yeah. 
but I figured, you know, I can figure something out. You know, it's just like a hitchhiker from the arm bar. Like you let someone learn how to hitchhiker for the first few times and you don't break their arm. You let them do it. You give them resistance and you you make it difficult, but you let them do it. And then one day they're going to hitchhiker out when you're trying hard and it's going to work because they're like, I figured out the mechanics of how to properly hitchhike and the timing because it's really a timing issue for the most part um, and among other things. But um, a lot of it's a timing issue of knowing like when to release and be ahead of the, you know, the the break and all that. But um, yeah, it's a, that was a lot of fun. I, I, I came back home and I was like, uh, so honey, you know, my girlfriend, I was like, you know, there's, there's another one of these camps in Iceland in a month. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, and then, and then in August, there's another one in Maine by origin. And she's like, are we ever going to see each other? And I was like, I don't know. Oh, so origin. <laughs> so, so origin's doing one that's not officially BJJ Globetrotters, but something similar. No, it, it, it's always, it's also by always it's, they do their own thing. Okay. It's actually at a different camp in Maine. Okay. So this is the other thing about Maine. Maine's a lot of woods and stuff. It's also very dark there. Yeah. Um, they don't have like street lights. It's really weird. Oh. Um, so driving around at night's really tough, but they have like, I saw probably half a dozen separate like turns and signs for summer camps. Okay. So there's like huge swaths of land that are just designed for summer camps. And there's different ones. I saw six and I'm sure that there's probably a dozen more. Huh. And so they do those at a, at a different camp. But, um, from what I've heard, there was some people at, at the Globetrotter camp who've done the origin camp and it's a lot different. It's much more, it's much less focused on things outside of training and much more like training, grinding, going to bed, getting up, training, eating, training, going to bed, getting up. Like, it's much more of a grind. If Jocko has anything to do with it, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. No, very, very true. And so um, I actually want to do that one, but I am a little nervous about having a week of that that intensive a grind. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's much more conducive to injury. Um, and so I, I may not because of that, but we'll see. Because um, I would like to go meet Jocko. Uh, Dean Lister, um, Echo Charles, and a lot of the other guys that go that are trained there, or that you know that know each other, that go to that. And um, Maine is beautiful, and uh, I would there's going to be some high level jujitsu there, so it'd be pretty pretty badass to get a train with some of the best people on the planet. Um, Heck yeah! And so uh, yeah, I'd, uh, I got to meet Chris Howder, so that was hilarious. Oh, shit. He's a character. Yeah, he taught there. Yeah, he's a character. Um, I forgot this because I've seen some of his seminars, but. Um, what he's most known for, and I didn't realize this fully until I went to the seminar, is that he's most what he likes to do because he's big about thinking street, mm-hmm. think street, train sport, um, and then um, uh, live the art or something like that. And um, but he's big on the street. So when he does seminars, he actually slaps his UKs. Mm. If their hands are down and not pregnant, their face, he'll just slap them. I like that. And so he like abused, he abused the shit out of like three different UKs. <laughs> and so like part of it is like, this is the thing is that if you ask him a question, he'll demonstrate it on you. So if you ask the question, he calls you up and then he, he answers your question oh, with okay. you. He doesn't do it with it. He doesn't do it with whoever he was using. Yeah. Whoever has a question he uses. And then if no one asks questions, he rambles. So we rambled about politics in the class that I went to for like 45 <laughs> minutes, like straight up just rambled about he politics. Um, just He can talk. And then um, someone had a question and he brought him up and then you slapped the shit out of him for 
20 minutes and someone else had a question and no one really it there was one girl who had a question and he didn't slap her um though he did collar tie he did collar tie her quite aggressively so i think that um <laughs> it she was like half his size and I, I think he was like not sure if he wanted to slap her so he just like collar tied her like almost knocked her over um because he had like a, it was like a fairly aggressive collar tie because he was like demonstrating like how to properly collar tie or something like that but uh like one of the guys like they were like uh i forget exactly the position they were in um i think it was just in in guard and um the guy like happened to look away and he just like smacked him in the face like hard is <laughs> this is like a brown belt who's got like four inches on him and like 30 40 because he's my size so he's got like 40 pounds on him they stand up and they're talking about distance and he closes the distance and just smacks the guy and the guy has like no facial reaction and I, I found out later that like this is what chris does at these seminars is like people don't volunteer questions because they don't want to get slapped <laughs> <laughs> yeah I so that was that, that was quite a, a that was, <laughs> yeah that was quite entertaining and like he gives zero fucks he's just like i just don't give a fuck what people think and I, yeah. not that i blame him he's been doing this for 40 years like who, who honestly gives a shit and there's some merit to it you know you don't want to abuse the crap out of everybody but there's some merit to like he's very big on street self-defense and so if you're only doing this crazy shit that i would just slap you and i would actually just slap you like you know so he likes to keep reminding people of that like and and every time he did that he's like slap me back as hard as you can just try and slap me and then he would stop and then he hit him in the face it's like do it again slap me and then, you know, it, so it was very informative, but very funny. Um, I, uh, the D1 wrestler, I got a chance to grapple with him. And um, he was, uh, he wrestled at Lock Haven when Kerry Collat wrestled there in the mid to late 90s. So uh, for anyone unfamiliar, uh, Lock Haven's in Pennsylvania. Um, it's a, it, it's most well known for uh, like the uh, defense contractor, Lock Haven defense contracting. Um, and, um, but the, the college is known for really for Kerry. They have high level wrestling, D one wrestling, but that's about it. And Kerry Collat, he was an undefeated high school wrestler, went to Penn state, um, didn't do very well, went to lock Haven. And I believe he won two NCAA titles or he at least got second twice. Hmm. Um, but he, he's went on to try and do the Olympics. Didn't do very, didn't win, but, uh, um, great grappler. This guy was there during the time Kerry was there. And I was like, you know, want to grapple with you. Let's see. And instead of like standing up, blast doubling me and wrecking my shit, he literally like, first thing he says to me when I was like, you know, sir, would you, could we wrestle? Could we grapple? And he's like, you want to fight? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, I, <laughs> no, <laughs> not so much. I don't. Um, not only is he like absurdly good, he's 10, 15 years older than me, but he's also like, he's got a bit of a belly and he's like a thick, like, Looks like a lumberjack. Yeah, okay. He's got 40 extra pounds of, of like, sh- you know, belly and shoulders, but he's, like, just built like a brick shed house. It's like, I don't want to fuck with that. I'm not <laughs> trying to fuck with, like, a former wrestler who's got an extra weight. Right. But it's not my thing. And, um, but he, he, instead of, like, walking out, we start standing or anything, he literally, like, kind of, like, crawls out, lays on his side, and it's like, let's go. And he lets me, like, get, or, like, attempt to get side control. And he um, submits me like four times in about two minutes, maybe a minute, all from the bottom without me being able to do a fucking thing. Wow. I couldn't get under hooks. I couldn't get under his head. I tried to get under his head and he wrist locked my opposite arm. 
because I wasn't paying attention to my wrist. Uh. And he just grabbed it and <laughs> wrist locked me while I was trying to get like a uh, head control. I then went to try and get uh, underhook and he wrist locked that wrist. Um, I tried to do neon belly and he rolled me over and then like did some kind of a weird shoulder lock that I still don't know what it was. Hmm. Um, and then I, he got in my guard and then he immediately broke the guard by doing things. I don't even know how he did. He just like basically sat up and then like turned a bit. I couldn't hold him. And he slowly like crushed me and then wrist locked me from like a half guard position. Like it was just absurd. And then he's like, nice job. <laughs> and then he's like crawled away. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I was telling my, my bunk mates about it. And one of them has rolled with him before. And he's like, he's like, I actually refuse to roll with him now because this is how he rolls. He's so oppressive, even in lazy that it's like, it's almost, it's, it's like, it's not fun because he doesn't do anything. Oh yeah. Cause he's so good. So much better than like, 99% of people that he can literally lay there in like a lazy op- open half guard and do shit <laughs> and still win. And so it's like, it, like it, it actually reminded me of like what I do when sometimes when like I'm grappling with the kids in my kids classes, I'll just like lay there and let them try shit and nothing works because yeah. they're kids. And I was like, this is mu- this must be what it's like <laughs> for my eight year olds. when they're like, tr- they're like trying to get sight control. And I'm just like sitting there like, what are you doing? And they're like, you know, wrist lock. I don't usually risk like the kids, but um, it was just like, fuck. And it's like, dang it. I thought maybe I could like get him to move a little bit. No, nothing. Not a, not a thing. I couldn't break his posture. I, I, I tried a two on one and it was a joke. I need like a five on one <laughs> to like, to like deal with this guy. Like I lifted my hips to follow him when he postured up. And that actually is what opened the guard. I don't know exactly how, but like my following him with my hips when he like sat up in my guard yeah. is what opened my guard. Weird. Just that motion, which is what I do which I think you're supposed to do to make yourself heavy so it's harder for them yeah. is what opened the guard. Like I still can't figure it out. Huh. He didn't put his elbows in the middle, like in between. Like he didn't do like the old white belt like elbow thing. Right. He just like moved in a way that like rendered my hips useless and made it hard for me to sit up. Like it was it was all just a joke. It was all a complete and utter joke. Wow. And I was like you made me feel worthless. Here's my blue belt. I'm going to go cry in a corner. I didn't, I actually was, I just, I didn't cry. I, I laughed the whole time. I was not, I was not even at all demoralized. It was just funny to me. I was like, okay, fuck you. That's what it's like to be like an elite level grappler who tries, who tries zero, has zero effort. Yeah. yeah don't, don't make him try. You make him try then you're in real trouble. Yeah. It's like, that's what he like blast doubles me. And like, I like rupture a spleen and like break three ribs. <laughs> You know, it's like, I'm glad I didn't do that, but I would have liked to, to have like played a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he was, was like the laziest person like I've ever met, <laughs> That's hilarious. but he's like gotten to a point to where he's so good that he just, he, he, he can be lazy and still be good. You know, where it's like n- nothing you do, unless you're also high level is going to like matter. Like, I'm sure I didn't see him grapple with anyone where they made him do anything. But I'm sure there was some people there who like they have enough, they're chop, they have enough chops to be able to make him move a bit. But, um, but yeah, that was that was quite entertaining. It's like okay, maybe I'll come back in 15 years and you'll be old enough that, and I'll still be young enough that I can move a bit and you'll have to move too. <laughs> See you but in the masters of maybe. Yeah, yeah, right, right, exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, that was that was quite entertaining. Um, I didn't get a chance to roll with Chris. He didn't really do much. I don't think he did much of the open mats. That would have been fun. Mm. Um, 
or Christian. I didn't really get a chance to roll with Christian. I was going to roll with Christian. And then as I was walking to ask him to grapple, this uh, very large brown belt was like, hey, do you want to roll? And I was like, okay. And then he proceeded to smash me into the ground for 20 minutes. Um, yeah, it was just like a week of getting my ass handed to me. I loved it. It was so great. <laughs> um, I think the average weight of the person I grappled was like 215 pounds. Ooh, jeez. And I actually grappled with um, a good amount of people that were my size. But the vast majority of them were very large purple, brown, and black belts um, that were, like I said, very large, very big. And it was a lot of fun um, dealing with 230 pound people. One of the, mat, one of the open mats, I didn't plan this, but for like two hours straight, all I rolled with was like 200 plus pound dudes. And it was like 15 of them. I just happened to like, they, they just happened to be around me and it was just one smash after another. And, um, so that was, that was a lot of fun afterwards. Like I, the next day I, I took three naps cause I was just so beat up. And we weren't going like excessively hard. It's just that, you know, when people are that big, like you still got to move that everyone body had 40, yeah. it's Everyone's still, everyone had 40 pounds on me at least. And it's like, you still got to be able to move under that. And like, you're just going to take some trauma to the body. And I just, I just the whole time, just two hours straight. And I was like, I got a lot of good work in, um, but uh, it was a lot of fun, but fucking exhausting. It was nice to be able to, this week I've grappled with people who were my size <laughs> and like lifting them up with butterfly hooks is a joke. It's an absolute joke. Lifting someone who's 160 pounds with butterfly hooks because it actually works. <laughs> I, yeah. Cause it like actually works. Like trying to lift some, even even if I'm mechanically correct, trying to lift someone who's 240 pounds is hard. Yeah. Like you gotta, you gotta put a little oomph into it. Like it's just not easy to do. And, um, so it was a, uh, it was nice to be able to, to, to lift, uh, I think I lifted Sean like really high up into the air and I was like, Oh, you're so light and he's lighter than I am. But I was like, this is, this is like, a, this is easy. It's like lifting a toddler. <laughs> Got the cheat code and shit. <laughs> I know. Right. It's like, I love it. Like I don't ever want to grapple big people anymore, <laughs> but no, I, I really, I actually enjoy grappling the, the big guys. Just, it, it's just so much fun to try and deal with their weight and, um, especially when they peel back a bit and they let you move, you know? Yeah. Um, cause if they can be so oppressive, we're like, hey, you just can't breathe. And like, it's just no fun. Like if, if they all wanted to, they can put enough weight into my, into me and cross side. Like I just, I just got tap. Like you get a scarf hold position at 240 pounds. Like I'm just, if I don't tap, I'm gonna break it. I'm gonna like break a rib or a neck, yeah. you know, like it just, it's just not going to work, but um, they let you, they give you a little bit of room to maneuver. And like, it's, it's a lot of work to do and it's a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, I recommend any, like I said, anyone who's listening to do at least one, um, they're, everyone's just so welcoming and there's so many people that even if anyone's a dick, you don't ever have to see him again. You can just ignore yeah. them, the whole camp and just, I, I didn't have any problems like that, but, um, people have talked about it before. Sometimes there's people who just have a bad attitude. I didn't meet anyone there who did and probably cause they were off on their own having a bad attitude <laughs> and everyone else just hung out elsewhere. Um, and so everyone was just like super, super pleasant, super laid back, super chill. Um, and yeah, it's a, it was a very invigorating experience. It uh, reinvigorate. I, I, I've never really lost my love of jujitsu, um, but it kind of helped reinvigorate my love for it and why I, why I do what I'm doing yeah. and why I have it as a profession, um, why I teach, you know, 
Um, but it also kind of gave me a lot of faith in humanity. Like there's, there's still pockets of people out there who are, um, still willing to fight for, uh, the, the values that we as a culture hold dear. Yeah. We'll do. And you know, at least the important values to to fucking call back to what I was saying about the, uh, like, you know, genetic predisposition towards that size of a tribe or what have you. Uh, that is like the exact opposite of Twitter, right? A relatively small group of people together in person, interacting physically. Like, yeah, that's what humanity is supposed to be like. So it's, it's, it's no surprise that 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 would foster that type of an environment as a, as opposed to Twitter and all that bullshit. No, very, very true. It was definitely very uplifting. Yeah. And um, and I'm excited to uh, to go to the next one when I can. I'd like to get to one another one this year. I don't think it'll be feasible, but um, so I have a couple of personal trips planned with my family. But um, and so I, I can only fit so much. So much travel in, but uh, yeah. I'll definitely I definitely like to do like two a year. Well, it's officially on my radar now. Uh, I got the site up. I'm gonna see if I can get one of those set up. It's, that's uh, yeah, they're yeah, they're great. So it's uh, you'll 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 definitely enjoy yourself going. And so, um, but yeah, that was my week last week. Um, I guess we probably should have mentioned at the top that uh, there was a week hiatus of our podcast because I was gone. <laughs> so, <laughs> <True>. <laughs> and that's what that's what I was yeah. doing. I was uh, on a, I was on a business <clears throat> trip um, at Adult Disneyland. Very cool. So. Thank you, U.S. Tax Code, for allowing <laughs> um, for allowing me to be able to to, to, to do that. So, because <laughs> it, it apparently is completely legal, yeah. Um, and there's there's no problems with it because I, I learned a crap ton and uh, grew a bunch, and it was all business related because I teach, and so mm-hmm. um, and uh, I've already taught a good amount of the stuff that I learned. Like I my all my youth classes this week were takedown related from Christian's takedown class. Yeah. Or his 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 stand up class, I guess, and so most of what I did was about was modified versions of that, and so um, and I'll continue to implement all that stuff that I've learned into uh, into classes because it's was very 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 valuable. Excellent. Well, I look forward to getting some of that myself. Um, you can uh, show me show yep. me what you learned. Throw me around for a bit. Yeah, I'll show you some more stuff as we, when we uh, get together next because uh, there's there's a good amount there's a good amount more that um, little bits and pieces of stuff that I learned that I I think I'll take I'll probably you know it's something I'll use forever because it's all very um, very fundamental stuff that is broadly applicable and um, you know like the frames things like that yeah um, yeah, yeah submission escape that kind of thing. Well, should we call it? I think we we're, should. We're it's two hours. hours in. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 42. Um, as always, we hope you have a good rest of the uh, morning and the afternoon or the evening. Peace. <laughs> Take care, everybody.